The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. All right. <clears throat> so backing up a couple weeks just briefly in review, um, we, we said there were some unbiblical responses to suffering, and that's relevant for our time today because both in ourselves and in ministry to other people, it can, it can give us some things to be aware of that if we see evidence of these things in our lives or for our purposes today in the lives of brothers and sisters, it'll be red flags that there may be something that we need to address. Things like practical atheism, living as if God didn't exist, not just saying, I don't believe in God anymore, but our manner of living in a very practical way, denying His existence. Or running to other false gods for satisfaction, for provision, for help. So, Living as if God were not there, running to other things to look for joy and satisfaction, the prosperity mindset that thinks that we deserve better, so the complaining and griping and grumbling, if God loved me, He wouldn't do this, or I always do what I'm supposed to do, I try to be a good person and, and this is what I get from God, so the bitterness of thinking we deserve better. Doubting God's character and nature, thinking that He can't help, that His wisdom or His power is somehow limited, so now this just is what it is, sort of a fatalistic mindset. God, God can't do anything about this. Uh, and then similar to that, doubting God's goodness to us. So maybe God doesn't have my best interest at heart. <clears throat> All of those things, and I'm certain we could come up with others, are red flags where our response to suffering, suffering is bringing out something in our heart that needs to be addressed and repented from. And it may be that a brother or sister needs help seeing that because we frequently have blind spots in our own lives where the perspective of a trusted brother or sister can help us see things that we're not seeing. Last week we said that in our own fight for faith in the midst of trials, that includes the regular means of grace that God provides in Scripture, in prayer, in singing the Bible, and then today we're thinking more about our ministry to one another, which is another means of grace that God gives to us, the body of Christ, to minister to one another. So as we focused last week on fighting for faith during trials and suffering at the individual level, we're focusing today on the corporate level, helping others to fight for faith. And that's because suffering, if you've got a packet, suffering is fundamentally corporate in nature. Paul gets at this in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You're familiar with 1 Corinthians 12, I'm sure, in how the, the Bible lays out the, the mutual interdependence that we have within the body of Christ. So, the, you know, the eye can't say to the hand, and the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. We're, we're different parts. We're gifted and equipped, equipped differently for service to one another within the body for the glory of God. And so there is an interdependence that we need one another within the body. And because of our interdependence, because of our union in Christ, in the family of faith, suffering then becomes corporate in nature and not merely individual in nature. So the rejoicing when one another rejoice and uh, weeping with those who weep, that is a reflection of an actual truth that is there, whether or not we recognize it. 
our, our interdependence on one another is a real thing. And so when, when a member suffers, the body suffers, whether or not we actually recognize that. When a member leaves, when there is conflict within the body that goes unaddressed, when there is reconciliation that needs to happen that is not happening, when there is unrepentant sin going on, those things have an impact on the body, whether or not we feel that at any given moment because of our union in Christ with one another. And so suffering is no exception to that. Suffering is fundamentally corporate in nature. We are knit together in such a way that there is mutual interdependence. And so we need each other, and we are meant to be used for one another's good, which means believers have an important role to play in encouraging one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. If we made a list of all of the one another commandments in the Bible, we would have a very, very long list. The, the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. The Christian life is not a life of isolation. It is a life of communion. We're actually celebrating the Lord's Supper today, which is a mark of our identification, not just with Jesus in his death for sins, but our communion together. Our, our union in Christ is reflected in the ordinances. Suffering reveals that. So we have an important role to play in encouraging one another. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that is, that instruction, I think, is a reflection of a spiritual reality that is, that, is, that is actually there whether we recognize it or not. The body is impacted by the, the joys and the sufferings, the sins of individual members, which is why we have to address those things. So weak believers need to be helped and supported. Immature believers or believers in sin, uh, is a, I should say believers in sin need to be corrected. Where there is division, there needs to be reconciliation. Not just because sin is a bad thing in and of itself. So if I'm in sin in some way, that that's, that's a sin against God and that's bad for me. That also has a detrimental effect on the body. So the rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep is just a reflection of the spiritual reality of our union together. That, and it's, it's kind of like another way of saying, be who you are in Christ. Um, so the ministry of encouragement. The goal of our encouragement to one another is faith. We are fighting for faith. Hebrews 3, 12-14 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So here the exhortation here in supporting one another is towards the end of faith. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So as the author of Hebrews tells these brothers and sisters to keep an eye out for one another, specifically, the instruction is to look out for unbelief. Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And the exhortation about not being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin 
So the deceitfulness of sin and the hardening that comes about must be in context where faith is waning. The antidote towards being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin is guarding against unbelief. And we've talked about that last week, about means of grace that God gives us to fight for faith. Now we're thinking about applying that to helping one another. And again, he says at the end, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ. What's the evidence that we have come to share in Christ? It's persevering faith. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So the, the picture is of the marathon race and helping one another cross the finish line. Yeah, that's so we're watching out for each other, right? We're, we're, we're standing arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, sometimes back to back, because I'm, I'm, helping, I'm helping you, and you're helping me, and we're helping one another. We all have sins and blind spots that we need other brothers and sisters to help us with. So from a very practical level, the Christian life can't be lived in isolation because you'd be a goner very, very quickly. You, the... I, I've got some uh, movie scene in mind where they, they use shields in front and on top to guard one another. I'm not going to own up to having seen that movie, Charlie. That's what somebody told me. That's what somebody told you, yeah. It was probably some Christian movie, like Facing the Giants or something. Um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Christianized. Exactly, that's right. See me after. <laughs> um, yeah, so how it works then is it only works if we are all actually committed to one another, which is one of the things uh, in terms of our church life that's been so encouraging to me in the last year or two was Michael leading us in the adoption of the church covenant. We've actually put on paper our commitment to not just the Lord and His gospel, but to one another in Him. And so we have said we are committed not just to the, to the gospel, that this is what I believe about who Jesus is and what He did. And so in agreeing to those things, I, I am a member of this church. Where in that sense, we're all just individual, individually connected to the gospel, and we all meet together in the same room on Sundays. But we've, we're actually saying, no, we are committed to one another and holding each other to what we believe about Christ and what a life of faithfulness to Him looks like. Is what the gospel? That certainly is a primary application of the gospel in the life of the local church. Certainly. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so the only reason I'm not just saying yes to your question, Timothy, is not to create any confusion about like how is a person saved. Um, a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we know that the faith that saves is not alone. And what does that faith include? Well, it certainly includes our ministry to one another within the body. Yeah.
Yes, and I think in the faithfulness that he gives to us in battling sin, he gives us other people. Um, yeah. Yeah, what we're saying is when you are called out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, he is calling you to a kingdom, a body, a family, a priesthood, a temple. Every piece of imagery used in the Bible for the body of Christ is one of communion, believers together. Um, but we're saying that the goal of encouragement is faith. What, the reason that we're saying that is what we don't want is merely our ministry to one another be for the purpose of helping someone feel better, primarily targeting their feelings, because feelings are not the primary problem. Feelings are real. There's a place for addressing feelings, but we don't stop at, I want the person to feel better. But by God's grace, we want to see them clinging to Him and His promises. It may include correction, comfort, warning, because we want to encourage them towards a persevering faith. If the goal was, I want this person to feel better, then that's going to take potentially a different form. Um, well, let, let's say the person is walking in some sort of unrepentant sin, and along with that comes the feelings of guilt and shame for just repeating and repeating the same things over and again. So they have the sin issue, but then they also have all the bad feelings that come with that. Well, if you address the feelings and not the sin, you, you haven't got to the, the root issue of what's going on. And that's not real ministry, is just addressing their feelings. So we want to help them fight for faith. And so the situation calls for wisdom to know what we are needing to apply. The categories of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, I think, are, are helpful for us here. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 should be on your verse packet. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So you see, depending on what a brother or sister is going through and um, what their behavior is revealing about what's going on in their hearts, different things will be needed in ministry. So someone who is idle, or I think another way that could be translated is unruly, should be admonished and warned. It seems like from the words that are used, the type of person that's being pictured there is someone who is like just disregarding the Bible. I know the Bible says this, but I don't care. I'm going to go my own way. So someone who is unruly needs to be admonished, needs to be warned. Even if their unruliness is happening perhaps as a result of or in the midst of sin, uh, suffering. The, the difficult situation that a person is going through that might bring out that kind of unruliness, we don't say, well, that, she's going through a lot. He's really having a hard time right now. We don't make excuses for sin unruliness, the disregarding of Scripture, even as it pertains to difficult circumstances and suffering, calls for admonishment, calls for warning. Not something that's harsh necessarily. It comes from a place of love. 
but warning is appropriate. Then there's the category of the faint-hearted who need to be encouraged. The idea is of spurring someone on in the race. Encourage them, spur them on. The weak should be helped. Or more literally, the word there means to hold something, to hold on to something. And then all of these situations, ministry to people always requires patience. Which in practice, I think, is one of the most difficult things about this instruction in 1 Thessalonians because, at least speaking for myself, patience is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, I can, I feel like in my own strength, I can do anything for a little while, but be patient. Keep doing it. Keep admonishing. Keep helping. Keep encouraging. Keep holding on to. Patience is required. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the gospel is a message of you are being held on to by the Lord. No one is able to snatch you out of his hand. The assurance of the Christian life is the keeping power of God. And we see that grace in practice in our lives when we are held on to by other people. Yeah. Maybe the, the takeaway is change, change your vocabulary and tell that person, by God's grace, I'm holding on to you. And He is holding on to you. So, I, I'd like to think I try to be careful with words. Uh, I'm certainly not as careful as I ought to be, but in that situation, I would say, hang in there is just ultimately not a very useful thing to say. Um, Okay, and then we should be honest and therefore encourage honesty when being ministered to or ministering to others who are suffering. Um, We talked about this, I think, last week. I know Vicki and I have had this conversation a a couple times. Vicki shared this in here um, about her her grandkids. Y'all know um, Catherine's accident and uh, the injury to her eye. And was it Clark or was it Clark that... Um, kind of asked her how she was doing and I guess she said she was fine and uh, it was very evident to uh, her cousin that she was not fine and in encouraging her to be honest with that it created a moment uh, of real love and warmth and compassion and when we put those barriers up uh, well I'm fine everything's fine we, we prevent that kind of ministry from taking place so that, that doesn't mean that that kind of honesty and vulnerability is going to be your, uh, your relationship with every single person within the body or every single person you know. But there does need to be a place, relationships, where that kind of honesty and vulnerability is being fostered. Um, and that, I, I thought about that example with Catherine. Um, and I think a, as we are honest and are sharing our burdens with you know, trusted brothers or sisters, there will be a reciprocity there. 
Um, I think that kind of honesty invites that kind of honesty in return. So we need to set that example. Um, and if you're talking to someone, let's say the, you're getting coffee with, uh, with a brother or a sister, and you, you know that there is something particularly hard going through. Maybe that's even the reason why you suggested that you get together. Things in your life right now, like if, if they asked you how you're doing, you could say honestly, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I don't have the, the big looming hard thing in front of me. Really, I, I wanted to have coffee with you to try to encourage you, pray for you, those sorts of things. The, your relative ease uh, or calm in your life uh, it does not have to be a reason not to share about past struggles, past things you've gone through, lessons that you learned. Maybe there's a situation that you've been through that was similar to what this person is going through. The, the, the honesty that is needed in ministry is needed not just from the person who is suffering, but from the person who is ministering to that person. Um, to say that, though, uh, and back to your packet, and especially as we find ourselves as the sufferer, we need to know that sufferers will benefit from listening to a brother or sister, sharing what is encouraging them spiritually, not only from talking about their own struggles. It is good to be able, when you're suffering and going through a difficulty, to be able to talk about that. It's good to not just bottle it up. It is good to be able to share those things with a brother or sister. But I think in our... Uh, kind of therapeutic culture that we live in, we can just kind of glorify the, the talking about it. And so we just make it all about just, I got to get, get all my thoughts out there uh, and that, that somehow makes it better. We actually need to listen. We need to listen for correction. We need to listen for encouragement. So we need to adopt a posture of listening. We can model that in ministry and certainly we need to pray that we would be humble listeners when we find ourselves, find ourselves in the position of suffering and we're receiving that. Several years ago, um, I was, this must have been, I think, in the interim, maybe the interim period. So um, we, we were without a pastor for about 18 months, and that is one of the most difficult times I have ever had in life in general, certainly in ministry, was all the difficulties that came from, um, you know, we had four staff at the time, and within about a, a month of one another, two resigned. Um, Jeremy and I will laugh to this day. If you've seen The Lord of the Rings, at the very end, or towards the very end of the third one, you've got Frodo and Sam kind of floating on a rock uh, in the midst of the volcano, and uh, Frodo says, I'm glad you're with me, Sam Wise Gamgee, here at the end of all things. And they, they, they think they're about to be consumed in this volcanic eruption, and then the eagles come in and rescue them. And so Jeremy and I will talk uh, now with a smile on our face about the interim time. In this as, analogy, Michael is the eagle? I mean, you can take... Okay. The metaphor falls apart at a certain point, <laughs> Charlie. Um, that's the thing about metaphors. Um, but in that time... Um, I was supposed to take a trip up to Portland to visit uh, Justin Martin. And if y'all hadn't been around long enough to know who that is, y'all just have to bear with me. He used to be on staff at Emmanuel years ago. He ended up doing church planning out in Portland. And I was supposed to go up there um, with our former pastor to visit and encourage him for a couple of days. 
And in the midst of that, I was in a season of just deep depression and anxiety. And the morning that I was flying out, if you know me, like, I, I kind of grew up in a military family where early is on time, on time is late, and late is unacceptable. And I got to the airport later than I, I meant to. And I was still early, but it wasn't the early that I wanted it to be. And that was the thing that triggered like a panic attack in the parking garage of the Birmingham airport. And I almost didn't get on the plane. I, I, was, I was in the parking deck and I was just ready to turn around and go back home. And uh, if it hadn't have been for um, my friend who was waiting for me at the gate, I think I would have. I think I would have just gone back home. Um, and in sharing with them things that I was going through while we were up there together for a few days, um, it, it was an opportunity not just to talk about those things, although I did, but it, there were so many people who knew what was going on in my life that were telling me, this is an area that you have got to address. You can't just leave this alone anymore. You, you've got to address this. And either, neither one of them were you know, members of this church anymore at that point, but they both committed to checking on me and making sure that I was addressing that. Uh, sin and struggle in my life. And uh, I share that story with you just to say that that's an example of, of ministry to brother or sister, brothers and sisters where being held on to um, is, a, is a necessary thing when hang in there. Like, there was no hanging. I think I had let go a long time before that. And the Lord was hanging on to me and He was using... Um, trusted brothers uh, in, in the fight for faith. And so we need to be listeners. We need to listen to correction. We need to listen to encouragement. We need to listen to truth because we will find ourselves believing satanic lies about ourselves and about our situation. And so listening, we have to model listening, and then we need to pray that we would listen well. Because sufferers should not close themselves off from loving reproof. Proverbs 27, 6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Some of the things that in the moment hurt the most but have done me the most good in my entire life have been reproofs from friends. In the position of being a helper, helpers should patiently and humbly inquire about and encourage the person's faith by way of gospel-centered reminders. So that maybe you know, we talked about the, the trap you can get into and just asking people vaguely, how are you? And then responding very vaguely, I'm fine. And we just ride this carousel over and over and over again where, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And we never get off of that. It, I think one of the ways to get off of that is to actually make the questions a little more specific. Ask about the person's faith. Ask about their walk with the Lord in the midst of that. That, you know, your, the diagnosis I know is something that you guys were not praying for. That's not what you wanted for yourself. Are you, what comfort are you finding in the Lord and in the gospel in the midst of this? Have you seen opportunities that he has glorified himself through your suffering? Have you, have you met people that you're already able to minister to that? 
Share ways that they're encouraging you in the way that they're suffering. So the how are you, I'm fine carousel, I think we can get off actually at the very beginning by asking better questions and then providing gospel-centered reminders. Here's some verses on your verse packet, starting with Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Remind brothers and sisters not to grow weary, not to give up. That there is grace for persevering faith through trials. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may, able, may be able to endure it. So remind brothers and sisters that in everything that is coming your way providentially, sin is not a requisite response to that. You have from the faithfulness of God <clears throat> the ability in the way of escape, to endure the temptations to sin, even those that come through suffering. And then 2 Peter 1.13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. We need to be continually reminding ourselves and other people about the truth of the gospel, what that means for our lives in Him. We need reminders. We are prone to forget. <clears throat> <clears throat> So generally speaking, the Christian life is, more, uh, is less like a squash and more, more like an oak tree. Yeah. Sometimes you get squashed. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so the, the fruit that's being born in the Christian life, the, I think we want the, the squash results but the growth is happening for the length of our lives. We're not going to just arrive and then have another 20 years where we're, we're coasting, right? It's constantly the pursuit of the Lord by the grace of the Lord. Uh, yeah, which is, I think, one of the practical reasons why our ministry to one another, when we have the experience of those afflictions can be that much more useful. And so we, we talked about that from uh, 2 Corinthians, that the apostles talked about their own affliction for the purpose of the comfort of the believer. So as we are afflicted in every way, it is for your comfort. There is a, there is a, a special help in addressing the trials of people that we're ministering to when we have gone through something similar. Yep, and it, it's, it is a lifelong thing. We don't just arrive and then coast to glory. Um, we, we talked about grace from God through the Word of God in our own lives, and so it's, it's no different in ministering to one another that the Word of God should be central to that. We should use the Scriptures to give one another hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the assurance of things not yet seen. So Romans 15, 1-4 <clears throat> says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So if our goal is to see our brother and sister persevere in a joyful faith in the Lord, then the Scriptures are a key means of seeing that worked out. Through the encouragement, I'll just read it again. Through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we can do that in very practical ways. We can read the Bible to and with other people. We, can, we talked about Scripture memory last week. We can work on those things together. Sing together. I mean, we do this when we gather, uh, certainly. But in you know, a one-to-one or smaller group relationship, if the goal is seeing persevering faith grow, then the Bible must be central to that. And on the backside of that, then we're trusting God and not ourselves to work through His Word in bringing sin and unbelief to life. I think to light. I think this is part of the patience that's required in ministering to other people is trusting that for a believer, the Lord will bring them to a place of conviction and repentance of sin. He will discipline them as His children. That does not excuse us of bringing words of warning or rebuke or reproof or whatever. But I think what it does is that actually empowers those things in us. It puts us in a position to be patient. So if maybe the brother or sister, there's some obvious glaring sin that's going on, we lovingly make them aware of that. And they don't immediately thank you for it and repent of it. Shocker. Like, the blinders just come off right away. They give you a big hug and they repent and you never have to do that again. Well, the instruction for patience then, when you see an instruction for patience, there's a little bit of warning there that you're going to be tempted towards impatience in this they might not respond with a thank you, I love you so much. They might respond with mind your own business or, you know, there may be other sinful or immature things that happen, even from a a brother or sister. We need to trust that God will work through His Word to ultimately be the one who brings about conviction. He will bring sin and unbelief to light for His children. We have a role to play in that certainly, but we need to tend the garden that we're given and not seek to be the Holy Spirit. We can be vessels of His Word, but we will not bring about conviction and repentance of sin. We will not bring about heart change. The Lord does that. We can remind sufferers that God and His plans are good and that in Christ all things work together for good. Romans 8.28, we've probably read this about 200 times already in our, in our building block. That's not just a kind of a pithy saying. We need to remind people that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And what, what does that good entail? It doesn't mean that it's just all comfort and ease now. He is working for your ultimate good and transforming you into Christ-likeness, not despite the suffering, 
but even through it. It's very easy in suffering to believe the lie that all things don't work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So we need to remind people of just bedrock foundational truths about the sovereign providential work of God, that He is working all things together for good. Similar to that, we need to remind people, remind sufferers that God is in control. You can kind of see how the things that we talked about um, a couple weeks ago, the unbiblical responses to suffering, bring about things that we need to remind one another about. Isaiah 46, 8 to 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. We need to remind one another that God's purpose will be accomplished. No one can stay his hand. No one can keep him from doing what he pleases to do. So, I think in, a, in like a classroom setting like this, those are, we can all kind of nod and go, yeah. Um, but I, those are the things that I tend to forget first when I am being pressed in times of suffering and sorrow. And I think we can kind of take that for granted, just the reminders that we need. Uh, from a very, I think, prideful position, I can get to a place where I think if I just, I've got all that information in my head. I know Romans 8.28. So, therefore, I am good. But the head knowledge of those things seems to not really be heart knowledge of those things as much in times of suffering. And I need, and I think you probably need, the reminders from brothers and sisters that those things are true, those things are to be treasured and cherished. Because those things have a way of, I think, evaporating from the, the front of our hearts and minds when we are, when we are suffering. Yeah. I, that's why I think it's so helpful to combine that with just humble honesty. I'm telling you this because if I were in your shoes, I would need somebody reminding me that God is working all things together for my good, that He is in control, that He has ordered this situation for His glory and for my good. That does not mean that it's going to be easy. That does not mean this is what I would have asked for for myself, but you can give examples from your own life, I'm sure, of times where that perspective Having a brother or sister remind you of that would have been the best thing for you. And that's why I shared the example of, of me a few years ago because I, had, I was doing my best to close my ears to what brothers and sisters were telling me. And I had them pursuing me, taking their hands away from my head, going, no, you've got to address this. This is not okay. You're not okay. If you had asked me to like a multiple choice test about is God in control of your life, I would have checked yes. Yeah, most of the time. I just would have, you know, 
there was the intellectual assent to those things, but that was the difference we talked about a couple weeks ago, the difference of our, uh, the, the doctrine that we ascribe to here, but then our practical theology. Um, so I think sometimes, frankly, we just have to get over the, the, the reservations of you know, feeling like that. But that might also, if, if there's a conviction there, I don't want to seem like you know, I'm up in the ivory tower and just whatever problem you've got, boom, 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 I can, I can deal out an answer. But combine it with the humility of, like, I've, I've been there, I'm going to be there again, and I know this is what I wanted then and what I would want then. I would want people who love the Lord and know His Word to keep me looking at truth and not wandering off into falsehood. And one of the ways that we can do that is the character of God. He is in control. He loves you. He is for you. There is no condemnation against you in Christ. We need to hear those things. Um, we need to remind them that the world in its present form is passing away. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. I better speed it up because it's 10 after. Um, and we talked about this a, a couple, I don't know, a few weeks ago, about the importance of timing when considering ministry to others. What we say, how we say it, when we say it, are things that we need to pray for wisdom for. Uh, you've got some references to Proverbs there about words fitly spoken that we would do well to think about. Then there's a ministry of prayer. Even as we pray for things like healing, for relief, for comfort, I think it's helpful um, Looking at Ephesians 1 and 3 and then Colossians 1, these are things which Paul prays for believers. <clears throat> and I think it's helpful to have our prayers for one another shaped by the prayers of Scripture. So the brother or sister has the diagnosis or the job loss or the relational difficulty or the besetting sin or whatever it is. And I, I think our go-to thing is, is to pray for... We did the relief, whatever ends it. So the healing or, or whatever, and that's not bad. But what else should characterize our prayers for one another? Well, in Ephesians, Paul prays that they would know the hope to which they've been called. There's that, that hope coming up again. That they would know God's power at work in them. And they would know the immensity of God's love for them. Pray for people to be filled with and increase in the knowledge of God's will and have endurance and patience with joy. Pray for believers to abound in love for one another and to walk in holiness. It's okay, it's fine, it's good to pray for their relief and comfort. Not bad. For their healing, certainly. But when you look at how like Paul, for example, prays for believers, and you see the depth of what he is asking God to provide for them, you can see that these things, knowing the hope that we've been called to, knowing God's power, experiencing the immensity of God's love, increasing in the knowledge of His will, increasing in patience with joy, abounding for love, in love for one another and walking in holiness... I think we would be hard-pressed to find ourselves really growing in these things and having a life that is only ever easy. 
The way that we get to things like this, it seems in the providence of God, is not with suffering as the exception, but suffering and trials and difficulties as the rule and the means by which he is pleased to work. So that can shape our prayers for one another. And then lastly, real quick, the ministry of hospitality and presence. Hospitality means opening not just our homes, but our lives to other people. And we've kind of said that in so many words already. Hospitality can take very practical forms. You know, this church, I don't know how common this is in other churches, but we are like the meal-taking church, I think. I love it. I mean, if you stub your toe, somebody's going to bring you dinner in this church. Um, and that's wonderful. Just a very practical way we minister to one another is making sure we have something to eat. Um, caring for one another's children. Another very practical thing that we can do. Creating space in people's lives where maybe there is the very difficult circumstance. You know, we had a, we had a couple um, not too long ago um, where there was a, a suicide in the family. And that created actually a number of these things on this list where hospitality took the form of caring for children, providing food, giving counsel, all sorts of things. This is where we can get very, very practical. We've talked about Job and his friends a couple times. Seemed like they started well, sitting with him on the ground, but then they became the answer guys, right? Job, I love you, but you are a, you are a big jerk. And that's why this is happening were to they, you. Were they silent for seven days? How many days? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But they it seemed, silent longer than They did good until they opened their mouths. They're a lot like me. Um, so the ministry of presence, is, I think at some point, biblically informed speaking is good and necessary. That's not to say all you need to do is be present with someone. But you should be present with someone. The person that you're telling, or that you might be tempted to say, hang on to, and you've changed it up and say, by God's grace, I'm going to help hold on to you, how are you going to show them that? Be with them. So prayer, the Word of God, hospitality, our presence to one another, are all means that we can use for helping one another fight for faith against sin and against unbelief during sufferings. And as, if we think about from a few weeks ago those potential unbiblical responses to suffering, those may help raise the red flags for us to know a brother or sister who's in need and then we're better equipped to have wisdom to know what things would be appropriate in helping to address it. Well, why don't we conclude with prayer and we will be done. Father, again, we're thankful for the comfort we have in the gospel, that we do not bear the consequences of our own sins in Christ, that he suffered for us. And so in him we have one who knows what it is like to be tempted in every way and yet without sin. He knows what it is like to walk in our shoes he knows the struggles and trials and difficulties of life better than any of us because he stood fast in the midst of them all. And so we thank you and pray for the power that you worked in him when you raised him from the dead, that you would continue to use it in us for our good and for your glory. 
May that be the attitude and strength with which we battle our own battles and fight for faith, and not just in our own lives, but especially in the lives of our brothers and sisters. You have brought us together in this body for your glory and for our good. May it be that we have open eyes and hands and hearts to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.